<laughs> I can't even clap on beat. So discouraging. <laughs> that was great. So, so take your Bibles. This is how we'll start. Just take your Bibles. Go to Luke chapter 23, if you don't mind. Um, we'll start you there. It has been a fantastic morning already. Um, and, and a lot of it, well, not a lot of it. What am I saying? It really all has to do with the content of what is happening. Not all the peripherals, but the content. The fact that we have a friend in Jesus who has separated all of our sin as far as the east is from the west should overwhelm us. Um, so as you're turning to Luke 23, let me, um, <laughs> so let me ask you this question based on how amazing this, this, this fine morning has been. Do you already have a song stuck in your head from this morning? The last time we sang uh, Death Was Arrested, that song just was on replay in my head probably till Wednesday or Thursday because, because music and sounds have um, an ability to do something to us that nothing else can. And I think oftentimes we overlook um, the importance of the beauty of noise. So, so let, me, let me explain what I mean. We regularly talk about how we need to stop and just watch. So stop and look at the beauty of God's creation. Look at the waterfalls. Look at the, 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 the plants coming up and turning green. Look, look at the sunrise, sunset. Look, 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 look. But, but, but actually, we would do well to stop and listen. Because one of the ways that as humans, one of the senses we've been given that is one of the strongest senses is sound. It gives us an opportunity to I mean, if you get familiar with the sound in a certain circumstance, it, it, it automatically just kind of ties everything together. That's why I believe the people, the men, the women, the, the very talented and gifted people who write musical scores are some of the, the, the smartest people in all of the world. Because they're able to look at a scene or scenery or a situation and to create music that after you see it and hear the music at the same time, you could be years away from it and hear that music and instantly identify with what's happening. So what I want to do this morning is this. I want for you to take about 30 seconds with the people around you, and I want you to share with each other, you know, what, what is going to be my soundtrack for life? Maybe it's your soundtrack for today or tomorrow. I mean, take whatever you want. Take a favorite song. Take something from a movie or a, a television show, something that, it's like, that's, that's my sound right there. That's the one that's going to be me. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds. And I promise you'll know when 30 seconds is up because I have a way for us to keep track of it. Start talking. have it. So see what I did there? Kind of proved my point with, the, with got that? Okay, got that. So, so as you talked, and I'm not sure, everybody's a little different. So everybody's got songs that they may relate to or they want to be their theme song. It may not be their theme song. It really, a lot of it depends on where you grew up and what you usually watch on television or different things like that. So, so I mean, here's, here's probably one. Let's see, anybody got this one? Anybody? All right. Okay. That's going to be your song or or some of us enjoy this one. Yep, all right, good. Good. And there's, okay, let me watch faces. This will tell me if any of you understand what this one is, because I'm not into this one, but some of you might be. I don't know. The people who cry a lot know what this is. 
See, I have enough drama in my life. I don't need to watch This Is Us, but that's the theme song for This Is Us. <laughs> um, probably the one, well, let me, let me go back. Let me go back. Okay, we got different age groups in the room, right? So, so maybe those are too, too hip for you. So maybe, maybe this is one of yours. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Perfect. Or, or maybe for our other side of that age spectrum, we got this. Moms are like, no! For those of you who don't know, that's the new Mickey Mouse. <laughs> now this one transcends all ages. And I think Mark will like this one. You ready? Here we go. This is for all of us. Oh! Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? All right, you guys made me happy. I was hoping someone was going to do it. Some of you were like, Sponge, you turned the music off. It's all right. It's good. It's good. Uh, for me, this one, actually, I do like this one. This one's just cool, though. Right? I mean, so you got that one. For me, this, the, 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 whenever I hear this, it always brings me back because there was a Bible study that happened. It's kind of a weird Bible study, but we had a Bible study, and immediately afterwards, we would watch episodes of this show all the time. So, Yeah. The Office is probably the greatest show ever, in case you're wondering, so there you go. Now, I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you, this is, even though you picked a number of other songs, maybe this one, well, actually, there's two. These two next ones may actually be more accurate for your life, like this one. Or this one. <laughs> if, if any of you picked that, I am, like, amazed. That's pretty amazing, okay. So this is what I need you to do. You ready? So I'm about to, I'm going to play one, and I'm going to play one, and if this is yours, I need you to raise your hand as, and just be proud about it. Are you ready? Here you go. If this is yours, raise your hand. All right. Good. Good. It should be everybody's. This is like the song, right? All right, but we got one more. Now what I need you to do, you raise your hand because that one was yours. Now if this next one should be the person next to you, raise your hand. Here we go. <laughs> Violence breaks out suddenly at Uniontown Bible Church. Husbands are being decked all over the place. So I, I know that's silly, but bear with me. There, there, there's, when you hear those songs or those sounds, it, it kind of brings you to a place, doesn't it? It can, it can be a memory. It can be a visual. It, it does something. And, and, and the reason I do that is, is, is kind of to help us get to this place. I, there's two more song, sounds that I want to play for you. One of them I, I um, remember distinctly. Because whenever I, and when I hear this, I can remember the visual. It's, it happened back April 19th, 1995. It was the greatest act of terrorism that occurred in United States soil before the attacks on September 11th. And that's when Tim McVeigh blew up the federal building at Oklahoma City. Um, when you read that story, it's a fascinating story how he was arrested. He was actually arrested by accident. See, after the bomb had gone off, he got in a car and he began traveling, and he traveled about 80 or 90 miles, and he was pulled over for not having a license plate. So the police officer approached the car and, and was fully intending on just giving him a ticket and letting him go because that's what you do. And so as he approached the side of the car and, and asked to see his identification, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Tim McVeigh reached for his identification, and by, in so doing, 
um, revealed the fact that he had a weapon. A police officer saw the man's gun that was concealed, and, and, and Tim McVeigh looked at the police officer and said, okay, yeah, my, my gun's loaded. And the police officer's response was, so is mine. And so he took the weapon from Tim McVeigh, arrested him for um, having um, a weapon concealed without a permit, and brought him to the jail in a town called Perry. Now, a series of strange events happened as he was in the jail. He was actually supposed to be arraigned, but, but um, <clears throat> the, first, well, the judge got stuck in the middle of a messy divorce case, and so it went long, and so they weren't able to arraign him that day. The next day, he was supposed to arraign him, but the judge's son missed the school bus, so the judge had to bring his son to school. And in that time, they called the Perry Correctional Facility after doing the investigation in Oklahoma City and said, um, do you still have Timothy McVeigh in custody? Uh, yeah. Don't let him go. So the, the federal authorities made their way to Perry, and word started to get out that the Perry jail was housing the terrorist who had committed atrocities that had never been seen on American soil before. And so people began showing up at the, the Perry jail. They began surrounding the jail, chanting things, taunting him, <clears throat> until the federal authorities were able to take Tim McVeigh into custody. And this, I, rem- I mean, I can close my eyes and I can see it plain as day. As they led Tim McVeigh out of the Perry jail into a van, it wasn't even a police van, it was one of those old Ford Econoline vans, and they were driving him to a helicopter to bring him to the federal penitentiary, and as they led him out of the Perry jail, he was wearing the orange jumpsuit and a a bulletproof vest and looked just stone-faced. And as he left, this is the sound of the crowds responding to seeing this man for the first time. And that forever became the soundtrack of Tim McVeigh's life. The taunts, the anger, crying out, murderer, baby killer. The reason I did all that is is for us to try to enter into what it sounded like in Luke chapter 23. In Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 32, it tells us the story of how Jesus and two other men were led away to be crucified. Um, Someone has put together this sound of what it probably sounded like in the streets as they led him and at the foot of the cross as they were being crucified. And this is the noise. The chanting of crucify him, the, the frustration and the anger. Don't forget that noise, because that's the soundtrack of Jesus and the two thieves on their way to Golgotha. In Luke chapter 23, verse 32, it says this, two other men, both were criminals, 
They were led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They, they do not know what they're doing. They divided his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. The rulers even sneered at him, and they said, Oh, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. Soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Because there was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Then then save yourself and save us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. You're under the same sentence. We're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. The sound of the angry mob, throwing things, spitting, cursing. The sound of a thief railing against Jesus, insulting him, cursing him, speaking against him. And then the other thief speaks up. And what you have in this moment is a gospel story coming from the life of this other thief. And that's what we want to look at. See, the gospel story of this other thief begins in verse 41 when he says, we're being punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. The, The gospel of the other thief begins with his public acclamation that I deserve this. I'm getting what I deserve. This is what I deserve. This criminal, this thief, the book of Matthew calls them bandits or hoodlums. There's a lot of people in the studying of the Gospels believe that these two thieves were actually part of the the, the gang that Barabbas ran. And then in that moment where Pilate stood Jesus and Barabbas up before the crowds and they chanted for Barabbas to be released, what had happened was they released the leader of this gang and now the two other thieves are left by themselves and led out to be executed while Barabbas was set free. When he looks at his situation, when he hears the taunts and he hears the jeers and he hears people screaming against him and the anger pouring out from him, what you hear from the mouth of this other thief is that, listen, I deserve this. My arrest is warranted. My punishment is justified. This this is a result of my choices. There's no cover-up. There's no blame-shifting. He takes complete ownership, which is unheard of. I mean, if you do prison ministry, you go to prison, everybody's innocent. Go home. Yeah, (laughs) Tom and Tom attest. Here's the other part. Go home. In our homes, everybody is innocent. You could be you and one other child and nobody else even in your neighborhood that day. Something breaks in the other room where your child is and you walk in and like, who broke it? I don't know. How do you not know? Wasn't me. How is it not you? There's two of us. And I said, see, that's, the culture we live in, though, the culture we live in is, is to blame shift. But here, 
The thief is just simply honest. I did this. I deserve this. I'm guilty. I mean, that's the very beginning of the gospel story, isn't it? The very beginning of the gospel story is for each one of us to come to the place where we understand the depth of our guilt. We understand, as the the book of Romans tells us, that there is none righteous, not even one. We understand that everyone has sinned against the glory of God. We understand that the wages of that sin is death. That's the beginning of the gospel story. It's, it's, It's understanding that I deserve this. I deserve this, but, and it continues, but Jesus doesn't deserve this. Look again at verse 41. He says that we're punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. Jesus doesn't deserve this. He's innocent. Now, don't don't make a mistake. It's not to to think that this happened, this is some divine oops on God's part. He didn't mean for for Jesus to to be crucified. Absolutely not. From the very beginning, immediately after the fall of Adam and Eve, you get to Genesis chapter 3, and you hear something that's called the Proto-Evangelion. It means the first gospel, the first good news. And that's when God tells Adam and Eve, listen, I, I, I know um, that, that there will come a day when one of your offspring will crush the head of the death serpent. Now, death, he'll be, his heel will be bitten and death will be sunk into him. But in that day... He will crush the head of death. You see that promise of God that there would be a Savior that would come. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. You see it again in, in, in the story of Abraham and Isaac. When God calls Abraham, he says, take, take your son, take your only son, Isaac, the one you love, and bring him to the mountain and sacrifice him there for me. And Abraham's all the way up on the mountain with knife in hand, ready to do the unthinkable. And in that moment, God stops him and says, now I know you fear me. And over in the, the bush, a, a ram begins to, to shake around and, and Abraham sees the ram and he brings the ram to the altar and he sacrifices the ram so that his son Isaac could go free. You, you've got the, the picture, the entire picture of the sacrificial system where for the sins of the people, they would have to bring an unblemished, a spotless, perfect lamb to sacrifice in their place for the covering of their sins. You have the prophet Isaiah who says that God is going to send a servant who's going to suffer for our sins. He'll be pierced. He'll be crushed. He'll be wounded. And the chastisement of our peace will be on his shoulders and it'll be brought to us. And then you have that moment when when Jesus first comes on the scene and John the Baptist first lays eyes on him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. See, what you're having in this moment where, where the thief is on the cross, he says, I deserve this. Jesus doesn't deserve this. What you're seeing in that moment is the substitutionary atonement of Jesus being played out completely. You're seeing the, the innocent and spotless Lamb of God bearing the wrath of God He's becoming sin so that we could be clean. He's bearing our burdens. It's, it's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about when he says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. What happened in this moment is that Jesus took our place. He willingly took the nails in the hands and the nails in the feet so that you and I might be free. Jesus doesn't deserve this. That's how the gospel story continues. It's, I deserve this, but but Jesus doesn't. 
The spotless, sinless Son of God came to die. And let me, let me, something I've been wrestling with in my head is I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with the gospel story and the way that I, I tell it and the way that I present it. I don't want to say Jesus died for you. It's true, but it loses something. No, Jesus died in your place. Where you should have stood, he stood there condemned by God, catching the full wrath of God so that you could go free. He didn't deserve it but he did it for you. Then you get to verse 42, and he says this, Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. Please remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's so much in that, just that that one sentence right there. I mean, think about it. He calls him Jesus. Now, okay, whatever. So I use your first name all the time, but you don't understand. Matthew 121 is where the prophecy is given that Jesus is coming, and he's coming for what purpose? To save his people from their sins. I mean, the most basic understanding of his name, the very essence of his name is Savior. And the thief on the cross looks at Jesus and calls him Savior. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. So we're not, we're not sure exactly how, what's playing out in his head and his heart and all of the thought processes he has, but I, I find it incredibly interesting that he doesn't do what the disciples did just a couple hours earlier. As, as Jesus stands in front of his disciples and says, here, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. And here, drink this cup, all of it, because this is my blood which is poured out for the remission of sins. This is, this is for you. I'm going to die for you. And the disciples' response is, Shotgun! Okay, maybe I don't need to sit in the front seat, but, but make me the top three, would you? Which, which one of us is the, the best of disciples? Can we be in the top three? I mean, come on, come on. You honestly can't think Bartholomew's in the top three. Nobody even knows he's a disciple. So I gotta be in the top three. So, I mean, that's their response to Jesus standing before them and saying, I am about to do something which is for you. My body will be broken, my blood will be shed. But that's not how the thief responds. The thief responds, one pastor calls it, it's a childlike response. Would you remember me? I mean, when you're, when you're dealing with the affairs of all of mankind, when you're um, maintaining that perfect balance between sun, moon, stars, earth, so that it all stays up, when you're hearing the prayers of the multitude in the middle of all of that, would you remember me? Would you acknowledge me? A guy who you've known for what? An hour, maybe an hour and a half? A guy who's being executed for his crimes. Would you allow me to come into your kingdom with you? Would you remember me? I mean, I'm guilty. You're innocent. I know my place and I know your place. So from your place of royalty, would you remember me, a criminal, a thief, a troublemaker, a condemned man? Would you remember me? And that is the essence of the gospel cry. I have nothing else. All of my hope, all of my confidence is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Um, I think it's important for us to remember that as this thief was on the cross, he didn't um, have all of his theology figured out perfectly. Um, Here's an amazing thing. Although in the New Testament, there's really not um, any place you would go in the New Testament where, where it would talk of a person who has come to faith in Jesus Christ and not been baptized. Those two go together. Not because baptism is salvation, 
But because the one who truly comes to Christ wants everybody to know it, so they're going to jump in and get baptized so that they identify with Jesus alone. But the thief on the cross didn't have time to get baptized. He didn't belong to a local church. He certainly wasn't tithing. He just knew he was guilty, that Jesus was innocent, and that his entrance into the kingdom of God was only through Jesus. Please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the beautiful response of Jesus is this. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen is the exact right response because that's what the word truly means. It means amen. It means absolutely. Think about that response. Just, just change that translation a little bit. Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, absolutely. I tell you today, this very day, this very day. This, this request that you're making of me isn't going to be pushed off into the future for a, a consideration later. It's going to come to fulfillment this very day. You will be with me. See, the request of the thief was just to remember him, and Jesus just elevated that. Oh, no, 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 no. I won't just remember you. I won't just be like, hey, I remember you. No, no. You will be with me. You'll be in my presence, in my company, welcomed, not simply tolerated. You'll be alongside me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 talks about how we have been raised up with Jesus and seated with him. See, Jesus on the cross takes our sin and he gives us his position at the very right hand of God. We're a co-heir with Christ. So, so when we come into his presence, it's not just like, oh, hey, I see that guy. I think I remember him. No, it's you're my child. Come with me. Be along my side. Just, just hang out with me. I used to love, um, when I was first in ministry, um, I had the privilege of serving alongside my father-in-law, um, senior pastor for, it seems like ever, for 40 plus years now. Um, but being able to be uh, alongside him when we would travel and go to conferences and stuff, because he was in ministry so long, he knew everybody. And so one of the cool things was being able to travel with him and get into those places where nobody else could get. And it was never, hey, yeah, you see that guy way over there? That's my son-in-law. Yeah, there's days. It was, come on, man, let's go. Let's go over and talk to them. Hey, we're going to go out to lunch with all them. You want to come? That's the difference. It wasn't just remember me. It was, you're going to be with me. Um, as you consider that, It's actually pretty shocking. When you consider that the thief who was being executed for his crimes was just told by the Son of God that you'll be with me in paradise, it's astonishing. Because that's the result of the gospel. But, but it's interesting. In, in, in light of what our culture believes the gospel looks like, I mean, our culture believes when we say we believe the gospel, our immediate culture today believes that that means that we are a bunch of goody two-shoes who are going to live a high moralistic life and we're going to stick to, to a legalistic practice so that we don't dare walk into the gray zone. It's, it's, it's this legalism and pharisaicalism that exists, and that's being defined as the gospel. And here's the problem. You believe in that gospel, you are doomed. 
Because I don't care what line you draw, you are not moral enough to stay above it. We are all sinners. There's none righteous. And so every single one of us, even by our own ruler, will fall short. But as you look at this situation, a thief crying out, remember me. Why would Jesus save him? This man is unworthy. Now, in my notes, I have the word trash. He's trash. He's guilty in the eyes of man. He's guilty in the eyes of God. There is absolutely no potential for rehabbing him at all. He's simply going to be dead in hours. And because of that, he brings no redeeming value to the kingdom of God. He's just a condemned man getting what he deserved, right? And Jesus looks at him and says, yeah, you with me. Why would Jesus do that? Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus redeems the least of these. Jesus rescues the ones who who are simply lost and can't rescue themselves. Jesus walks into the leper colony and touches a leper. And everybody goes, no! And he said, this is what I do. Jesus raises the dead, although it should make him unclean. Does he care? Absolutely not. Because the love that he continues to dump out is scandalous and even, and I'll use this word, reckless. He doesn't care what you think about how much love he shows. He doesn't care if it it measures up to your standards. Oh, that's too much love. You can't love a leper. Oh, that's too much love. You, you, You can't love a child abuser. Oh, that's too much love. You you can't love a rapist. See, see, Jesus isn't concerned about what parameters you place on his love. He is going to dump it and dump it and dump it. And let me me share something with you, particularly because he passed away this week. It's important that we remember this. Um, That very same grace and love that saved an amazing man like Billy Graham, who was a wretch before Jesus. You know that, right? That same grace that saved Billy Graham is the grace that saved a man that I know who was angry, abusive, an alcoholic, very unfriendly. God miraculously reached out to him and saved his soul. And he remained angry, abusive, and alcoholic. However, in an incredibly guilty conscience as the Holy Spirit was like, hey, I'm in here now. That's the same grace. But for us, we play it in levels, don't we? Oh, you can only show that much grace to them. And Billy Graham's going to be a wonderful man. He's going to go preach the gospel to millions of souls. And so the grace that God's going to pour on him is going to be unthinkable. And you are going to die within hours. Whatever. A.W. Pink says this. Now, A.W. Pink is a wonderful theologian. If any of you are like, ooh, I should look up A.W. Pink, be ready for your mind to explode. I found the one quote that I could read once and understand it the first time, so I'm going to go with it. (laughs) A.W. Pink says this, that thief could not walk in paths of righteousness because he had a nail through either foot. He couldn't perform good works because there was a nail through either hand. He couldn't turn over a new leaf and live a better life because he was dying. See, in that moment, Jesus did what Jesus does. In the midst of his death, in the midst of his brokenness, because of the great love that God has for us, 
God, who, who is rich in mercy, made us alive even while we were dead in sin because of Jesus. That's Ephesians 2, verse 4. Man, we, we don't have to hide the fact that we're messed up people because God doesn't hide the fact that's exactly the type of people he came to redeem. Messed up people. Let me, let me give you just a goofy picture. Maybe, maybe this will help. Whenever, and this is true historically and present, whenever the, the um, president of the United States would give a speech or sign a bill, there's always a crowd around him on the stage. You've noticed that, right? Cracks me up to see how many people are like pushing and shoving. They're like, I'm going to get my face in there. But the people that are there are chosen on purpose. So if he's announcing some type of military initiative or military bill, you look at the platform surrounding the president, and it's high-ranking military officials. If he's talking about a a bill that he's signing that has to do with um, some type of initiative in an inner city, he has a number of community representatives from those inner city places that he's trying to reach join him on the platform so that when you look at him and you hear his words and you see him sign the document, you're also aware of the fact that you're seeing the type of people that he's talking about in that moment. In the defining moment of salvific history, Jesus was surrounded by two unnamed undeserved, random criminals. Because that's what it was all about. The message of this saying is that through Jesus there is grace, there is mercy to be had. Through Jesus, salvation can come. Through Jesus, let me tie it all the way back. Through Jesus, at that moment on the cross, the soundtrack of that thief's life changed dramatically. And that's the message of the saying, the soundtrack of your life can be changed. See, see, when you think about it, in the morning, the thief is walking towards his own execution, his own crucifixion, and he hears the the shouts and the mobs cursing and the, the, the spewing of hatred at him. And he's hung on the cross. And in that moment when he says, I'm guilty, you're innocent, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, you will be with me. In that moment, The soundtrack switched. It was no longer the taunts and the jeers of the crowds that surrounded him. But now it sounded a little bit more like Zephaniah chapter 3. It says this, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud. O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they'll say to Jerusalem, don't fear, O Zion. Don't let your hands hang limp. Why? Because here's the hope in the new soundtrack. The Lord our God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. See, in that moment, the soundtrack of the thief completely changed. It went from the taunts, the jeers, the hatred, the speech of the the crowds before him to the voice that I, I don't have a sound effect that can match that. There's no song that that is as beautiful as God rejoicing over me with singing. But that's what his life became at that moment. Um, there's a, a question that I'd like to ask you to consider today. There's, there's two thieves dying on the cross. Um, the question is not, 
Are you a criminal or a thief? That's already been answered through Scripture. You're far worse than that. Scripture says outside of Jesus, you're the very enemy of God. So that's not the question. Are you one of them? No, 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 no. The question is, which one of them are you? Are you the one who rails against Jesus and rejects him over and over again? Or are you the one who with humility admits that you get, you're getting what you deserve, that Jesus is who he said he was? And you cry out from the very purity, the purest of places, the, the most humble of places in your heart, God, would you please remember me? Because apart from you, I have nothing. Which thief are you? Um, there's, there's an old song that talks about there's room at the cross for you. <laughs> well, in this moment, as long as you have air in your lungs, there's room. There's time. We don't know when that ends. We simply know that in this moment right now, we deserve punishment. Jesus doesn't. But he'll remember you in his kingdom you can be with him in his kingdom. You cry out from your heart for him to be your rescuer. Today, your soundtrack can change because Jesus came to save us. Truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. I love you guys. May we live like that statement has been said over us, because it has. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I thank you for these folks. I thank you for your great grace. I thank you for your compassion, your mercy. God, as we look at the life of this thief, we're, we're amazed that, that someone who deserves so little got so much. Lord, forgive us for being so amazed. Instead, Lord, I pray that we'd be reminded that we are that thief, that anything we have is simply a gift from you in your hand. God, I ask that you'd remind us of what your love looked like for us. May it not grow cold in our hearts. And I pray for the one who sits here even now, that your spirit would continue to work and minister in their hearts and draw them to you, that they might come to the end of themselves knowing that there is only one way, one truth, one life, and his name's Jesus. May today be the day that we not only celebrate that you spoke those words over us, but that you carried someone from death to life in our presence. Lord, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.